Dove Award-nominated singer-songwriter Andrew Greer is on the podcast today. We get to hear about his story as a songwriter, his love for hymns, an upcoming tour of Israel that you can join in on, and more. That's today on the CMB Podcast, Session 52. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate Fancher. Hello everyone and welcome to session number 52 of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. This is where we are seeking to grow as songwriters, music makers, Christian artists of all different styles, all different genres. We're all on a journey of making music through eyes of faith. And so here at CMB, we cover a variety of topics that affect us as Christian musicians and Christian artists. If you're looking to grow in your artistic craft, then join us because we're all looking to grow in that craft. So we bring on different guests, a variety of different people to interview on our podcast Um, Every now and again, I'll do a solo monologue episode, but for the most part, you can expect conversations with other excellent songwriters, artists of different kinds, um, just to hear from them and learn from them. If it's your first time checking out our podcast today, I invite you to go over to christianmusicblog.com slash gift, and I have a gift there just for checking out our podcast today. It's my way of saying thank you, and so head over there again. That's christianmusicblog.com slash gift. Well, it's great to be with Andrew Greer today. He is a singer-songwriter based out of Nashville, Tennessee. He's released two full-length albums. His last album, Angel Band, The Hymn Session, reached number two in the contemporary folk chart at Amazon. And um, Andrew, awesome to have you on the podcast. Really, really thankful for you to, uh, to be on today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Nate. Yeah, man. So why don't we start with you and your story as a songwriter? How did you fall in love with the craft and art of songwriting? Well, I was kind of a late bloomer when it comes to songwriting. I grew up loving music and was classically trained in piano and uh, grew up loving songwriters. My parents are from Louisiana and my oldest brother's kind of was a like a hippie in the mid-90s when it wasn't cool to be a hippie and uh, loved all these old records uh, before records were cool too um, with uh, like Peter, Paul and Mary and Simon and Garfunkel and Bob Dylan, of course. And then that was mixed with a lot of Motown and Soul music, Zydeco. My mother grew up in New Orleans. and So I always had these really distinctive influences, but didn't really necessarily incorporate them into my own musical output, I guess. And when I got to school at Belmont University in Nashville, so grew up in Texas, moved to Nashville to go to school at Belmont, that's really in the practice rooms there at Belmont is where I first began thinking about maybe putting some of my own lyrics into song. But I still was not thinking of any kind of... I never wanted to be a singer-songwriter. That was not my trajectory as a musician. I really loved incorporating into other things and um, and songwriting for others and that kind of thing. So uh, it wasn't until I ended up... Some life circumstances, kind of a season of feeling like my back was up against the wall spiritually right out of college and the end of a long relationship and... Uh, uh, started counseling and that's always a sobering experience you know beginning to dig up some of the stuff that you didn't want to dig up oh, man, that you yeah. 
And uh, <laughs> anyway, so in some of that kind of uh, spiritual wandering and doubts and fears, I uh, took to the road and went out to Wyoming for about six months uh, just to backpack and to enjoy some uh, solitude in nature. And that's just where I naturally find it easiest to commune with God. I'm a kind of a busybody and type A, so it's easiest for me to relax when there's very few distractions around. And, and I love nature. I love backpacking. So I went out there and I met the owners of this old lodge that Buffalo Bill, Bill Cody, who's an old Wild West figure, had built circa 1900 awesome. to entertain all these incredible. Yeah, it it was incredible. Wow. He, uh, he entertained all these guests like Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, some extremely famous wild west and american figures and they owned the lodge but didn't tour it or anything and so it had an old upright piano in it and they learned about my history and music and they gave me a key to it and said anytime you want to go use that you can and uh what a specific gift i went out wondering um where god was in the details if he was in the details if he was even really present and uh and then to have a detail like that kind of fall in my lap. And I went in there thinking an old upright piano in an, uh, an uninsulated lodge from 1900, there's no way that's going to be playable, right? Yeah. Her, I mean, and next in the middle of the Shoshone National Forest in Wyoming's up and down climate and went in there and it was perfectly playable, perfectly in tune with itself. And uh, I wrote my almost my entire first record on that piano in wow. the Shoshone National Forest in Wyoming. So that's where songwriting became a personal craft, not just um, a craft that maybe others could use, I guess. Nice. Man, that's awesome. It's amazing that piano was in tune, right? I mean, pianos are notorious, especially old ones, for, <laughs> for going out. I know. I'm not one. I love mystery. I'm not one for, like, uh, superstition or, you know, I'm kind of practical. But... Uh, I would definitely say I, I went out to Wyoming a very wounded person, and uh, I think of that piano as one way that God was um, helping soothe those wounds. So it's awesome, man. Very cool. That's that's definitely one of the best stories I've heard in terms of someone <laughs> getting started as a writer, backpacking in well, Wyoming. Fine. No, <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? I said, well, I made it up. Oh, okay. Uh, hey, babe, that's cool though. It was a good story. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So your first record was done yep. there. That's so Open awesome. Book was my first record, and that almost entirely, that's where actually the, the, the kind of dream was born for the first time of wanting to maybe share my own stories uh, through song in my own platform. So that was the kind of genesis of um, what has become my singer-songwriter career. That's great. And, and after that record, you did um, Angel, Angel Bands, yep. and um, you've done two with with that particular moniker, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The Christmas, I love that word. Christmas one, and 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 then mm -hmm. your your the hymn sessions, which is beautiful. Um, why you. why hymns? Uh, what made you go from writing your own tunes to to covering some awesome hymns? You know, that's an incredible question because, yeah, why? As a songwriter who loves expressing his story and the stories of others. Um, with a melody and a lyric, why go to these old songs? I think because, in a way, uh, as someone who is a follower of Christ and who was really the introduction to God, so then the introduction to Jesus, was through hymns. You know, I grew up in church in Texas. Um, 
and I say this a lot, and there's other people who can echo the sentiment. I don't remember the content of the sermons, you know, um, but you, you know, maybe they weren't good. I don't know, <laughs> but but the the sermons in those hymns are good, and uh, and I think because they're more than sermons, they're a true story, and um, you tie those profound truths to a beautiful lyric, these kind of Americana folk heartland melodies. Um, you tie that lyric to a melody, and uh, it has a way of kind of taking it from your mind. Maybe I got the content in my mind from the sermon, but it made its way to my heart through those hymns. And mm. so those hymns, in a lot of ways, feel very personal. They feel like they feel like my story in a lot of ways. And so though I didn't write them, being able to put my own spin on them um, while keeping, I'm a purist, so while keeping the melody and the heart of that hymn, the historic part of that hymn, keeping it true. I didn't add a lot of bridges. I didn't quite do the modern worship thing with it. And it's done in that folk rootsy style. Yeah. But I did write a couple verses that I maintained the original melody, hoping that someone would just listen and think, that's the third verse I never sang. You know, it's funny you're saying that. I, I, I think Jesus paid it all. Mm-hmm. Did you do that in that song? Because there was a verse in there that I was like, I don't know that verse. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's, that's very perceptive. Yep. I did that in hoping that it would feel like, feel orig- original to the tune, you know. That was awesome, man. And I loved uh, some of the YouTube videos that you did as you were, you know, promoting that record. and Thank you. Uh, very well done. And, and this is perfect to, to segue into your Hymns for Hunger project. You've been doing this for a couple of years with Cindy Morgan. Tell us how that started. Um, I know that you're friends with Cindy. You, you were friends with her before you guys started doing that. How did how did you guys come up with this concept, and and where is it up to this point? Because you've been doing it for a couple of years, right? Yep, almost. We started in the fall of 2012, and we started just as Hymns for Hunger was going to just be a tour. We both had these kind of Americana folk hymns records out. We were friends. Uh, we had done some. She does a duet on my hymns record on "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus," and uh, sang another verse that I that I wrote kind of thinking of her voice and our friendship. And um, so we were doing some promo dates around that record doing the duet. And she was like, you know, we're friends. I've always wanted to do kind of hymns. And, um, you know, she took a little time off from touring um, when she had her kids. And now her kids are getting into their teen years and more independent. And so anyway, we were like, we want to go to all those churches with the pews, you know, those churches that maybe don't get a lot of shows. And so if we can work that out, you know, financially make it all sound, let's do it. So we started um, emailing back and forth about titles for the tour. And I'm, I like to write a lot. And so I use some kind of funny alliterations in there just for fun. And Hymns for Hunger was in this long list of titles. It was not serious. It was not heartfelt. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she emails back immediately, Hymns for Hunger, that's it. And I said, well... That implies a whole lot that we haven't talked about, you know. And she started talking about her experiences, she and her girls and her husband, their experiences with the food pantry in a rural community just outside of Nashville where they live, and how they began to see neighbors coming in who were responsible folks, maybe one or two parents who had both been let off from their jobs and were literally having to make the decision between uh, the electricity and food on their table. And these are people, again, who know what it is to, to work for their families. So... She said, you know, this is poignant because it's hitting home. So we began doing some research on hunger just in the Nashville area among our local folks. And that opened up to where um, we 
understood more of the statistics uh, nationally, but in local communities all over the country. And so we wanted a, a way that the hymns could be a generator for all these local efforts. Um, so we go into towns all across cities, all across the nation, who already have this local um, uh, awareness and uh, organization that's working on behalf of their uh, community, and we just work as a generator to raise money, to raise awareness as well. Awareness is a huge deal. There's a lot of people, when you and I were kids growing up, our elementary school food drive could fill the pantry. Now it can't. And so some of it's just um, letting the neighbors know that their neighbors are hungry. Uh, it's not a lack of people wanting to help. We're just a generator to say, hey, there's help and it's needed right down your street. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, everything from clothes drives to food drives to um, going to rescue missions. And we're basically this generator for wherever and whatever the need is. We try to stay a bit um, unspecific so that we can be specific when we go into the local communities. So yeah, we just take our ukuleles and our banjos and our mandolins and our, uh, we always have a piano set up and us and a couple of the players go out and, and just try to help. Yeah, tell us more about that, like the, the types of shows that you were playing. Uh, you were playing in non-traditional venues mm -hmm. uh, from, yep. from, from the looks of your website or, or the one at hymnsforhunger.com, the videos that you guys did, you know. Yeah, a lot of churches, like I said, the pew churches, you know, kind of mid-sized churches down. And um, a lot of, I mean, we end up playing at some missions, you know, in some food lines. We try to pair up, like, even when we're doing a big show, that we'll end up in maybe some whatever, larger venues or mega church type things. And we always try to pair that up with, if their organization, let's say, is a feeding ministry of some sort, then we try to also coincide uh, the show with maybe the day that they're actually feeding that afternoon. And so we go and, and we'll play, you know, for the folks who are being fed and who maybe we invite them to the show, but maybe they don't always feel comfortable coming in that environment. So we try it, you know, we really want, music is such a universal language, right? And, uh, and sometimes there's just circumstances in life that do cause these divides in just the way we look or the way where we feel comfortable, environments we feel comfortable in. So we try to bring the music to as many places as possible. And you know what? We thought at first it might be difficult talking to management about it and stuff. You know, how do you keep the wheels turning on something like that? And it's funny because we we just, that's not been even an issue. Um, we, are, you know, it, it's just interesting how when you kind of give yourself over to something a bit bigger than yourself, um, it tends to take care of itself, even that's for awesome. practical people like us, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's really, really, really cool. And and, and um, I noticed at your site or at the tour site, um, mm -hmm. the dates that you're currently involved with are, are raising money and awareness for Nicaragua, something going on there. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, we have partnered with some friends. So we wanted to have some sort of international angle to go with the Hymns for Hunger, but we wanted it to be personal as well. The whole tour feels personal to us. And so our, we have some friends here in town at the organization Food for the Hungry, and they said, you know what, we've got some new community development projects in Nicaragua that we really need specific help with. So at each show, we do a pretty traditional child sponsorship appeal. We've uh, had hundreds of kids that have been sponsored through um, those shows, and those kids sponsorship, those child sponsorships, really are representative of those communities. That's the link from us to that community, from us here in the States. And, and we've gone to Nicaragua, and I'll be going back again this summer um, to really see what's happening there. And Food for the Hungry, I think by nature of the name, we anticipated that we would go and what? 
hand out food, right? We actually didn't touch one bit of food as far as handing that out to, to people. What we realized is that the community development projects were much more holistic. And so that fit our whole, everywhere we go locally, there's, there has to be a holistic approach to really approach. Hunger is just a surface scratch to some, um, some deeper issues. And that's the same in, in poverty anywhere. Yeah, and oftentimes that's linked to education, that's linked to resources for um, identifying the, the resources that are at the adult's fingertips to be able to create a living and a sustainable living for their community. And so the footprint's very low and we just hope to be a part of that low footprint. It's really a partnership rather than um, a fa- it's, it's facilitating, but it's, it's more of this partnership. And so anyway, it, it's just a really cool experience that we've had in seeing those communities grow in that partnership. And uh, eventually we will not be a part of that partnership anymore. Um, those will be communities that are completely self-sustaining um, through wow. these partnerships. So, yeah. That's really cool. I mean, hearing you talk about that, I'm just, yeah, you, like you were saying, it's, these are big issues uh, mm-hmm. Much more than just hunger, but um, and I, I love seeing your perspective of how you you're just kind of seeing that you're one piece of the puzzle, and yeah. um, far too often I wonder if artists try to jump on like and, and bite bite off more than they can chew. You know what I mean? It's yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Well, we're we're by creatives, and you know this as creative types. We our hearts, I think, are sometimes bigger than our organizational skills <laughs> or <laughs> ability to commit maybe even. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- but we all play pieces. We all play roles. Sure. Um, yep. And it's important. And, you know, artists have such a, a unique ability to tell a group of people all at once. Um, and, and that's why it's a viable thing. But yeah, I, I think music is very closely related. Um, I think it's very relational. And so I think, I think musicians, we, as musicians, we always have to be mindful of how music can help achieve this bigger picture. It's, it's the prayer of Jesus, you know, it's the on earth as it is in heaven. And how can we utilize our life's work um, to, to actually uh, pray that prayer? You know? Yeah, very good, yeah. So at the time of this podcast recording, uh, we're just the day after Easter, 2014 and and this last weekend we had uh, posted a video on the blog of you and Jenny Owens and uh, this beautiful beautiful cover of uh, Via Dolorosa Um, well done man thanks (laughs) well awesome we were a bit scared at first you know right who wants to take on Sandy Patty and then (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, but second because it I always grew up knowing it as her song and uh, I felt like maybe that would pigeonhole some things we discovered that that well, one, as we listened to the song and began to interpret it, practicing it one day, we realized it's a beautiful lyric and an absolutely haunting melody. And uh, written by an old songwriter guy named Billy Sprague. I don't know if you know that name, but he had his own kind of folk CCM thing when folk wasn't cool. And uh, anyway, and then we know Sandy and thought it would be kind of a cool tribute to her as well. But what we learned is that it's it's really... Uh, kind of universal lyric. We there's tons of people from a lot of different um, backgrounds and knowledge of music and Christian music or no gospel music and who know that song or sang it maybe in their youth choir or whatever. And it's just a poignant reminder, you know. Um, he walked that road for you and me. That's yeah. that's the heart of it. So yeah. And speaking of that road, 
literally yeah. you and, and Jenny are going to be going to the Holy Land um, next February, next year. That's correct. Tell us about that. Tell us how, what door is open there. What's, what's it all about? Yeah. Well, February 9th through 18th, 2015, uh, Jenny, Jenny and I are hosting a trip uh, to the Holy Land for 40 folks. And uh, those signups are happening now. We just announced it a couple weeks ago. And what we want it to be is a, a time of we've never been to the Holy Land, either one of us. And so we are anticipating it with, you know, whoever will end up uh, actually going with us. And our good friend, Andrew Lyon, who has a, he works a lot with NGOs and ministries and organizing international trips, came to us and just said, I think this would be, we're currently writing a book on that is Old Testament heavy for Thomas Nelson, and it's releasing um, the same time frame next year. And so he knew that, and Andrew did, and he kind of talked to us about wouldn't that be cool to kind of enter that book a little bit over there, as well as um, be able to do some music. And um, we do a lot of acoustic music, which is just easy in international trips. And he'd had some interest in some folks wanting to go back to the Holy Land. So all these little components started coming together and Jenny and I were like, yeah, let's do this. So we uh, will lead some devotionals. It's not a devotional book, but we will kind of um, fashion some devotionals that from the book where we uh, where the scriptures align with the places that we're visiting, uh, historically speaking. And then we're also going to do um, like some shows on the Sea of Galilee on a boat there and in Bethlehem and just some unique poignant places where we can share, uh, um, you know, our stories and song, which have been directly impacted by the events that took place in that region of the world. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything more poignant, at least on this side of life, um, to really experience as far as place and, and opportunity. So, yeah, so we're in, still inviting folks. We have uh, several people signed up, and we'll continue uh, having people sign up uh, through our websites and so they can look up either Andrew Greer or Jenny Owens. It's JennyOwens.com or Andrew-Greer.com um, or AndrewWLion.com, who's travel. So you got a lot of .coms there. But the point is you can find it if you look for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, and, we'll put all those links in our, our show notes today. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, so, I, you know, I mean, you can imagine. I don't know if you've been to the Holy Land before. Have not, but I can't imagine what it would be like to, to be there and to play music there and songs that, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm totally with you on it. So, well, and you know, we talked about hymns earlier, and right. I love the hymns. And though those hymns aren't as old as the events that took place there, um, they tie so directly to just totally to Jesus and to His life and His ministry on Earth. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm really, 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 really looking forward to it. Yeah, can you? Can you tell us a little bit more about this book? I, I hadn't actually seen yeah. that in the stuff I was when I was doing some research before we talked, you know. Yeah, we just have kind of started talking about it a little bit because we just turned it in. So, you know, you're always fearful until you turn it in, like, will I actually turn it in? Right. And, uh, yeah, well, uh, I had some friends at Thomas Nelson that we started talking about a book that is for our, really our demographic uh, as far as thoughtful disciples. So, um people who are thinking people, disciples of Christ, who don't always know what to do with God of the Old Testament. We talk about how we're totally sold on um, a New Testament Messiah, but a God of the Old Testament we're not always sure what to do with. And part of that is some of our upbringings where we weren't allowed to ask questions 
um, about things we didn't understand in scripture, et cetera. We were just told uh, because or that's the way it is or whatever. And there wasn't that open, gracious dialogue that I think really uh, is a part of our relationship with God, with our creator. Yeah. And, uh, and so in that, we're wanting to ask the questions, not just to- this isn't a topical book. It's really a discovery. We wanted to discover God, not dictate him. So we, it's very anecdotal in the sense that we share our own stories. Then we find stories in Old Testament scripture that maybe haven't been explored before or have been explored before. And we explore the relationship between God and the Israelites and, and through that relationship and through their dialogue, what is, who is God, you know, based on his actions and his behaviors and, and his care or lack of care, whatever we're discovering for the Israelites, who is God? And does that apply then, do we circle back, does that apply then to what we're experiencing today? If it does and he truly is God, you know, then he's this timeless, um, he is God who is worth our surrender, you know, to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is intimately connected to Jesus, the Messiah. And if he's not, he's not. And let's discover that. We don't answer that in the book because the point is not a conclusion. The point is opening up the dialogue. And so, yeah, so there's lots of Old Testament in it, um, which scares us away sometimes or makes us think snoozer. And, uh, you, you know, yeah. so we're yeah. to bring that alive. For, as disciples of Christ, New Testament disciples, what does the Old Testament mean to us? This yeah. is more than just what a scripture... It, you know, this is not a, a, a discussion of inerrancy. This is a discussion of who is God. And we had discovered that Scripture is our greatest revelation of who God is. So if that's true, it, it bears um, some study, you know? Yeah. No, I, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, the Old Testament, in the light of what we know of the New Testament and of Jesus, it's mm-hmm. a completely different book than if you looked at it without Jesus yes. and without the New Testament. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've come to believe it's not just connected, it's intertwined, you know. It, yeah. you know. So I won't give away the book, though. Yeah, so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm into theology, I'm into that kind of stuff, and so I, I love exploring that. Because, yeah, I kind of grew up always thinking, oh, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, it was, you know, we don't live in that time anymore, and it just is there to teach us some nice moral lessons or something. And, no, um, yeah, and, and it's, it, yeah. it's active, it's real, it's alive, and it's, yep. it's beautiful, you know? It has its tough spots, but I really do find it's beautiful. And I, I've always said with friends and with myself, if we can um, stop taking our mom and dad issues out on God, we can actually maybe learn who he is. And yeah. uh, wow. you know, so hopefully that's what we do yeah. in, in this book. But we'll have to stay in touch because I would love to... Uh, when we start, copies start going out, I'd love for you to get one. Yeah, man. So now this is going to be going out right as you guys are going to Israel. Is that the plan? That's what you said earlier? Yeah, next spring. Yep. Cool. So Or, you know, late winter, I guess. And, uh, yeah, so that's the plan so far. You know, I guess marketing could change. But it looks pretty set on schedule. We turned in the book, so we have a huge relief. And our editors at least said they were proud of us. So Cool. So did you turn in your first sort of first draft and they'll come back to you and you'll go back and forth for a little while and all that. Right. We turned in our first final draft. And so it was the full manuscript, which I've never written a book before. I've done editorials and stuff like that. It's a total different process I'm learning. And, and, you know, they asked for us to turn in something as final as we could imagine it. And that's a pretty tall order because I was, you know, thinking there would be feedback along the way. 
But we turned in it exactly like we would see the book finished. And yeah, from here, there'll be a pretty, I'm sure, um, a pretty good set of weeks of drafts. But then from there, you know, onward and upward. Yeah. And you're going to be, of course, touring and doing and doing your music as well while you're trying to finish this. And so you have a busy year ahead of you. Yeah. In the meantime, yeah, summer's always busy with conferences. Hymns for Hunger continues is an ongoing thing that now is ongoing for a long time. Cindy and I are working out, um, doing a, a record on that, on a Hymns for Hunger record. That's good, man. Awesome. I was wondering that because it seems like, yeah. you know, it's definitely time for, for a title, you know, with that on it. We want wise. something tangible. Yeah, yeah, something tangible to take away. And people at shows, they love getting both our records, but they'd really like something tangible. And it, it'll involve other artists, friends of ours, because I, don't, I can't imagine doing a Hymns for Hunger record Hymns and hunger, so hymns and relief without involving a community. So, um, and hymns involve community. They're communal by nature, you know. So, so yeah, so it, that'll happen, and uh, we'll see. That may all coincide at the same time, but we're also going to do more Christmas tour this Christmas, and the Christmas sessions did really well for us last year on some mainstream charts, which we were I was shocked by, and um, mm. because of that, we're going to kind of do some more focused um I think we kind of made a Christmas, what I call like a Christmas Eve or an Advent record rather than a Christmas Day record. And mm-hmm. so I think there's, I think a lot of us identify with kind of the midnight hope of Christmas. So, yeah. yeah that's cool. Now, this wasn't in our, you know, we went over the little list before we started recording what I was going to ask okay. you. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I am, I'm curious. Um, when it comes to like your own originals, um, now are you write, do you write for your own? I mean, like like your first record, you know, open book, or are you writing for other artists as well? Kind of a mixture of both. Like, what are you currently doing in terms of your your own original songs? Of songwriting, yeah. Well, I have another record, song songwriter record in the can. So it's just a lot of other things have come up since that are important and kind of take priority as far as the schedule goes. So that's looking like it won't be till a 2015 and it'll be kind of for my own audience and benefit. But, um, I always write, so I still write for myself, but I do a lot of co-writing, uh, which has just happened over the past year or two. Um, Cindy, my, my relationship with Cindy has really opened me up to a lot of writing. Cindy is a, if people don't know, Cindy Morgan is a name that is on a lot of records. Um, she writes for everybody and anybody. She's just had huge cuts in both Christian music and, country music and, and I really love the the craft of songwriting so I've ended up um, writing a lot more because of her and those are beginning to take shape to start to show up on other people's records so that's a that's a very much a part of music that I want to um, encourage and massage and foster um, I love the idea of other people cutting my songs and I've always you know been honored by that and so I would like for that to grow and grow and grow and, and honestly being a Nash now in Nashvilleian, you know, and having grown up in Texas, I would like to get a first country cut at some point. There you know, go. yeah, come on, yeah. Totally. I mean, just as it like, you know, make my brothers proud. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been great having you on the podcast. It's been great meeting you, man. Um, before we go, why don't why don't you just leave our listeners who are artists, their their songwriters who are starting out themselves, uh, leave them with some parting uh, words of advice. What would you say to them? Sure. Well. I would say we're all always starting out, you know, um, there's always new ideas and new creativity and new launches. And, and so 
everyone's a novice at all times and sometimes an expert, you know. So I think just um, the courage to to really explore your creativity and your art and understand its place in the beginning and then grow from that place, you know. And I, I started out very local um, and I'm still very regional in a lot of ways, but really fostering, I feel like I grew my gift in the beginning among a very um, kind of niche community of folks. And I feel like that really benefited me then because they're still my core. And there's times where things hit well and there's times where things just flop. And guess what? That core is still there and they're still supportive and they're still encouraging and they're still buying. And so I, th- I think it's really important to just be patient with the craft. I don't believe that age dictates much. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm 30 now and I know that's not past, we're not past our prime by any means, but I have seen, I have studied, I like to observe and study other people's careers and there have been people at 35 and 40 and 45 really digging in with an audience for the first time, though they've been working their craft for a long time. And I just, a lot of times those artists are the ones I'm drawn to the most and have the most profound things to say. So just making time to grow it and to be patient with it, but also to begin to expose it right where you are. And I don't know, every audience is important. Every person is important, you know. And uh, sometimes you'll go to a show that hasn't been promoted well or whatever, and it's a small audience. And that can be discouraging at first when there's, you know, 50 people in a 300-seat thing or 300 people in a 2,000-seat thing. It all looks the same, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and to remember that each of those – that what an honor for someone to show up and, and listen and have that relationship. So music is relational, and I would say how can it um, spawn – you know, more relationship and then you're probably going down the right path. Mm, that's great advice. And yeah. Yeah. It nothing kind of, practical, it, but <laughs> what's that? I said nothing practical, but yeah. I think, I think it's awesome. I mean, just patience and you know that, yeah, I don't know. I can't really add anything to it. I'm, I don't know why I'm even trying. <laughs> so go for it. Hey, go for it, <laughs> man. It's been awesome having you again. Thanks for, for coming on our podcast, Andrew. Now, where can folks find you online? You mentioned Andrew dash com, which we'll have that link in our, in our show notes, um, Twitter, Facebook, all the rest. Sure. Yep. Twitter is just A Greer Music. So the first initial of my name, A Greer Music, and Facebook's the same, A Greer Music. Of course, if you just go to andrew-greer.com or Google Andrew Greer, you can find all those links pretty easily. So yeah, I love, I do I like connecting, especially on Facebook, but on Twitter some too. And so um, definitely, I would love that. Today's show notes, head over to christianmusicblog.com slash 52. You'll see links to andrew-greer.com, hymnsforhunger.com, Jenny Owens' website, and a lot more. All of the different things that we discussed in our interview today will be there. It's a nice blog post all laid out for you with highlights and more. So christianmusicblog.com slash 52. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening up to this point. I want to remind you of the gift that I that I mentioned at every um, outset of every episode, christianmusicblog.com slash gift. Head over there and you'll find uh, a free PDF and an MP3 that goes with it. It's how I use Evernote to write more songs more quickly. It's, it's a great way to stay organized in all of your life. It's a great app in general, 
but it's also awesome for songwriting. And uh, I know that if you use this this um, particular method that I've come up with on how to use Evernote for songwriting, you'll you'll see the benefits in your songwriting. So again, to find out more about that, simply head over to christianmusicblog.com slash gift. All right, as I let you go, um, this is not the end. I want you to stick around for this song, this beautiful version of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's Andrew Greer with Cindy Morgan. And um, you can download this at iTunes, and I'll have a link to that in our show notes as well. So you guys have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you next time on the CMB Podcast. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior And life more abundant and free Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of Strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace Though death it shall come in one moment Forever in Him life we share Thank you for listening to the CMB Podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit christianmusicblog.com.